Hello, hockey fans. Welcome Love once again to the Big Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We're going to have a good show today. Mark Scheig is back with us to put a bow tie on the Columbus Blue Jackets running the playoffs. The Yarmo Kekalainen moves, uh, how he feels about that, what they could do in the offseason uh, with l- very limited draft picks. Uh, but they will have quite a bit of cap space, so we'll get into that. We're going to start off on the Vegas lane. Uh, we're going to get a little more in-depth on, on the Golden Knights offseason with their salary cap situation and the players that I think and Chris thinks they need to keep and the ones that they can move. So we got a good show. We'll be right back. All right, Golden Knights fans, thank you for taking the time Saturday morning to join us again. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. And we're going to go down the Vegas lane. Uh, first and foremost, the, the new front office setup, it's over a week old now, so it's not that new and we're not breaking anything. But McCrimmon did get bumped to uh, general manager. McPhee gets bumped up to president of hockey operations. Uh, most importantly, what this does is keeps their brain trust together. Uh, keeps the team in the front office intact, so the plan and the continuity uh, continue on. They, they they knew they were going to have cap issues when they signed Mark Stone, Pacioretty, so on and so forth. And it's surprising to me that in just their going into their second off season, that they've you know they're. A year ago, all, all the media in town was saying that just because you have cap space doesn't mean you have to use it. It's an asset, but uh, be careful with it. And now they're right up against the crunch, Chris. Yeah, they are. It's interesting about this new, um, you know, with Crimin uh, taking over as uh, the GM, effective September 1st, which is interesting. Uh, that, yeah. you know, McPhee is, is, so that means, you know, basically this offseason he is, Still the GM. Now they've had a, a team concept there, and Kelly's had a huge say. In fact, I was reading recently that a lot of the expansion picks were, you know, through his strong recommendations. And obviously, McPhee's still going to be his boss, so he's still going to have final say. I mean, one would think, reading through the lines with these changes, it sounds like, uh, you know, Kelly's going to have. He's going to be driving the bus more. But at the end of the day, McPhee still has to say yay or nay. But one would think that unless he feels extremely strongly about something and say this is a bad move for us, he, he's going to let Kelly kind of run the ship, I, I would imagine. that I'm just kind of trying to read between the lines. Um, and obviously, every, you know, uh, everyone's really happy there, uh, both McPhee and uh, – and Crimin, so you know when you find a place to work and you really enjoy it and working with other people, there's uh, something to be said about about all that. A lot, uh, a lot to be said. A lot. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter if you're uh, what your field is, uh, if, uh, uh, if you're an electrician, if you're in finance, or if you're a hockey general manager or in a hockey yep. general office. So, uh, so it doesn't really uh, matter. But um, yeah, it is good to see that. And this is, like you said, a big big offseason. I, I crunched some numbers here, and I don't want to go too much and bore everyone with the minutiae of the numbers, but basically, the the Knights have, as we've said before, $79.5 million for 17 players. 
the cap ceiling will know the exact number come early to mid-June, but by all estimates, supposed to fall between 82 83 million. The the ninth restricted free agents are Carlson, Nosek, Gusev, Schultz, and Subban. That would get them to 22 players. So you have a 23-man roster. So there would still be another player. Now, without signing any of their potential, not potential, any of their pending UFAs in Belmar, Prairie, and Carpenter in, in England, my calculations has Vegas being somewhere between eight to ten million over the cap. So they have to get that's that's after signing their restricted free agents and a twenty third player. So they would have to cut eight to ten million. So here's the question I have to you. Let's for conserve let's just say ten million. Maybe it's eight, but let's just say it's ten million. So Mark, out of Riley Smith, five million. Cody Eakin, three point eight five. Ryan Reeves, two point eight. Colin Miller, three point nine. Nick Holden, two point two. John Merrill, one point four. And Eric Holler, two point eight. Let's put David Clarkson aside because I don't think, I don't see how there's really a resolution to that in a positive way for the night. So let's put that. I think that that aside. How do they get the $10 million with the players I just mentioned? Because everyone else who has any kind of dollars on the cap is guys who they do not want to trade. So how do you how do you get the $10 million with the names I just mentioned? How would you do it? Well, I think, and it might not be popular, but I think Cody Eakin, Ryan Reeves, and Colin Miller um, – can give you the quick relief, and then yeah, that would get you to yeah, that would get you to roughly. Six, I don't uh, mind. Yeah, that would get you to about ten I million. Get you to that would get you to ten, and I don't mind if you uh, Nick Holden goes as well. I mean, I mind, of course. Yeah. But um, if you need a little extra wiggle room, I think Nick Holden would be right. the odd man out on defense because you have Nick Hague, uh, White Cloud, and and uh, a little bit more depth at the defensive position in the AHL than you do um, at the forward slot, although the forward slot's pretty comfortable as well. And Eakin, if you want to go between Eakin and Halla, Halla obviously has more offensive upside and is about a million cheaper, depending on his knee and, and what the, the franchise thinks about uh, his health coming back into next season. Then you could have Halla, your third-line center, and Eakin will – and, and will get you the, the 3.85 Reeves is, is been embraced by the community here in Las Vegas. And if you want to keep him at 2.775, then Holden and Merrill both go or at least Holden. Or you know that, what you could do? You, you could trade no sick, not sign no sick and trade him and then keep, not that his number is going to be 2.8, probably be more than 1.3, 1.4, but Maybe you can trade no sick and, uh, you know, find a million dollars somewhere, you know, like you said, trade Holden. So maybe well, I you like, can keep Reeves. I think no sick is, is the redundancy to Belmar. And my, my choice would be you have to keep Belmar on that fourth line with Carrier 
and Reeves for that to be an effective fourth line because his face-off right. percentage and his willingness to lay down and block shots with his face, if that's what he has to do, the, then that's what he'll do. His his, his grit and his face-off skill uh, keep possession for that fourth line. And that's a key to what the Golden Knights do is is when their fourth line's out there, they get that puck down in the offensive zone and they cycle it and they forecheck it. And they, they, they basically, when they're playing their best, burn the other team's first line shift in playing defense. And, and that was a big part of their success in their first season. And when they were going well this year, the, the same thing. When you can put the fourth line out there and they spend the other team's first line in their own zone, that's nothing but a plus. And that drives the Golden Knights. And I think Belmar is a big part of that. So if, if, if we want to talk no set goes, and, and that means you keep Belmar, Peary Carpenter, um, I don't see them coming back. England, I don't know what contract he would take, but – if you do Holden, Merrill, Eakin, and um, like like you said, uh, somebody takes a haircut to stay with the with the franchise, maybe a million less than what they would take, then I think maybe you you have it done to get your RFAs in the fold. Well, you know the other thing you could do, and I know you're against this, but another thing is um, is you trade Eakin, obviously, because you're going to get value. And keep in mind. They can't. They basically can't take any money back. I mean, because they're that tight no. against the cap. So we're really talking about trading these guys, getting prospects and picks. It's not a bad thing because we've we've harped on this show the last, you know, year plus about all the moves they made, all the futures they've traded. So maybe this is an opportunity to recoup some of that, um, in terms of draft picks and prospects, in terms of the pipeline. And that is, you know, do you consider trading Riley Smith? So, because if you're willing no. to trade Riley Smith at five million, and Cody Eakin at almost four million, you know that almost gets you there by itself. Now, I understand that's, you know, probably a move you'd rather not make. But, um, you know, what if there was a team out there willing to give up a first round pick for Riley? I'll give you a K. I'll throw something out at you. What if? The New York Islanders, who are looking to improve their top six, Lou Lamorello calls uh, McPhee and McCrimmon and say, I will give you, you know, one of the idiots I have in Bridgeport, who's a good defenseman and on ELC, and I'll give you, you know, I'll throw in a, you know, another prospect or a draft pick, but I'll also give you my first round pick, 23rd overall this year to get Riley Smith. So what if a team comes calling, offering you a first-round pick like that for Riley Smith? Would that entice you? No. I can't. No. I can't okay. I can't move Riley Smith. When you have Smith, Carlson, Marsha Show, Stone, Pacioretty, and Stastny, you have one of the best top sixes in the entire National Hockey League. I'm not going into this offseason breaking that up, if at all possible. Um, yeah, when, you don't by, want to rush glass, right? You, I think glass thing. spins all next year in Chicago. I, I think okay. that he. I don't think we can project to see him until 2021, and That's um, I'm fine with that. Uh, George McPhee has said I'm going to overcook him rather than uh, bring him in raw. Right. And I, I, I think he he's slated to play a full season in the in the AHL before he joins the team. So when when you're looking at the the center depth. Uh, you, you have obviously Carlson Staffney and then 
Eakin third line replaced with Halla. Belmar fourth line, no six expendable. So, and the right side, I believe, is one of the best stable of right wingers in the entire National Hockey League as well. Because with with Riley Smith on the right side, Stone on the right side, Alex Tuck, who got, you know, made improvements this year, and he's still so young that we, we, we're not going to see the best of Alex Tuck in power forward role with his team for two or three more seasons as he grows in, in, into his game. And then with Carrier on, on the right side um, of that fourth line, he's leading the league in hits for most of the season with, with even missing uh, 20-something games with injuries um, and the role that he plays on that. I, I think the right wing is a strength, and I don't want to weaken a strength like by trailing – trading a Riley Smith. Um, I think there's enough of a market for centers where, where somebody, you may not get a first for Eakin, but you're probably going to get a second in a prospect. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, think that's you know fair. what I mean? You would get a second, you would get a second in a, you a know, good, either a good D plus in, and then, prospect. Yeah. Or, or another good draft pick, you know, or yeah, maybe, a second maybe and a fourth. Two, two, uh, yeah, or maybe maybe you get two twos over two years. You know what I mean? Maybe you, you go that route. Sure. You know, which wouldn't be a terrible thing. Um, no. Yeah, I, I agree with that because Eakin is, even though he has one year to go, he's a good player. He's still a good age. Team could, you know, re, you know, extend him. Uh, it would be a good opportunity for both him and the team to talk extension. Why wouldn't you? So you could sign him to, you know, a bit of an extension. Yeah, there will be, and you know, not for nothing, but it's so hard to get defense in this league. If Colin Miller is available, um, mm-hmm. and you know, he has a he signed for the, I believe, the next three years, if I have that, if memory serves correct. No, yep. under a little under four million for a good defenseman in signed for the next three years, and he, yeah, that's a team, right? That's a now, you know, in terms of fitting in and all that, and yep. that would be that's the kind of. That, that they need to get better on the blue line, and they need to yep. find guys who have fr- who have friendly cap numbers. So, which yep. is hard to do. So he's a guy who checks those boxes. So as long as they think he can fit in and help improve uh, them, um, and you can get it's like good I said, fit. you can get good value. Yeah, Colin Miller he has the speed that, to fit in fit in with that that top six too. If he, if he's playing second or third pair. In in Toronto, he can he's the kind of player that can skate very well and move the puck. Um, he did have some defensive lapses this year. He might have stagnated a little bit in his growth, um, but he he has the raw tools to be a real good fit in Toronto. So if if you can do that, that's three point eight seven. If you know center depth is hard to hard to do in this league. Uh, Cody can, can is a three, but can play minutes on a two for a team looking for defensive depth. He's a, um, he's a super three, I would call him. He's a super That's three, right? That's how I look at him. 2B, 3A, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a tweener. He's not a, he's not a second-line center. He's not a top-six player. But, boy, is he a lot better than a third-line player. So, he's a tweener. So when and you he's, have a, a, guy he's like a great that, penalty killer, too. Right, yeah. So, when you have a guy like that, it doesn't matter if he's a if you could say that about someone who's a third pairing defenseman or or a third line player 
who's 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 uh, really closer or in between a, a, a second line player than a third or between a two and a three, and you put him on your third. That's how you have tremendous depth on your team. So, Correct. Uh, he, he to me he's but unfortunately I, I just don't I you know they're going to have to make hard choices here. They're going to like you yeah. said have to move some guys that don't want to, and they've known this. Like I said, the only thing other possibility, and I don't see a resolution for it. Uh, unless there's there's something hidden or whatnot, and that would be trading David Clarkson because buying him out based on what I've read from yeah. Cap Friendly is a small. I mean, I think they save like seven hundred thousand. And you know, to get someone to buy him out uh, to trade him for him, you're going to have to give up really good assets, future assets, to do it. And then he has the whole no move clause thing. So I, I you know, to you know, maybe they can pull that off and surprise us all, and that would be, I think, a 5.25 cap savings. But yeah. that seems like, uh, you know, getting that magical card on the river. You know what I mean? Uh, not to use a gambling reference, but that doesn't seem like something I don't think you can count on. It would be great if they could somehow pull that off, but that, that they could give up some futures that's not going to kill them, and he'd be willing to move his no-move clause. Uh, again, he's in a he's getting paid by Vegas, and they're in a state with no state tax. So, you're talking about if he if you traded him to a team that was that had state tax, he would lose some money. So, uh, I don't know if he would do that. You know, uh, there's just so many permutations yeah. there. No, I think I think I mean, this isn't NHL 20 or NHL 19, but I think the easy way to get the cap space. And, and dealing from a position of depth is is to move Cody Eakin and Colin Miller and uh, probably Holden would be your your guy out for a team that needs a, a, yep. a you know a reliable steady stay at home defenseman he's not flashy he's not going to put a bunch of points guy. on the board but he but he's going to give you some penalty kill minutes and he's going to give you um, a nice stable third line professional defenseman. And yeah, I mean, no, that gets you right up to that $10 million number number. I know coach Gallant likes John Merrill a lot enough to trade Brad hunt to Minnesota. Um, and, and you have Nick Hague in, in the pipeline as well. If you want, if, if he's ready to go, then you, those, those are your two positions of franchise depth and strength it is dealing from defense and the center position because you do have Cody glass coming not, and I don't think we'll see him this year, but next year. And, and you have Eric Halla if he's healthy coming off his injury and that saves you a million dollars who's already on the roster. And that those move, moving any of your wingers that we, we saw this year that one of the, the Achilles heels of the Knights was, was the third line left wing position. So if you have the money to, to slot Nikita Gusev in there, that's great. Another defensive depth is, is the Hobie Baker finals, Jimmy Schultz, who they did sign at the end of the season, but didn't get any action similar to Gusev. Um, so you put Jimmy Schultz in the pipeline that, that makes, uh, you know, that's, that's your franchise depth. If you, if you can move the defenseman and he can, I think you get to the, to a comfortable cap number where you can, you know, sign your RFAs. The decisions uh, are, are going to be made on, on the UFA front as well. So I think, I think that's where you have to go if you're Kelly McCrimmon and, and George McPhee. And I think that puts you in a good spot because it actually, you get a little more upside out of Hala on the third line center 
than you do out of out of Eakin. And if you have Hala Eakin Gusev, not Hala Eakin, sorry, Hala Tuck Gusev on that third line, now you're talking about a top nine that is very mm-hmm. potent. And and we we haven't seen Gusev yet, but I know um, offensively he has to be an upgrade over over Carpenter. Perry came in on fire but cooled off, so I think that's we, we saw more of what Perry is later in the season than we did when he first came up. And I'll go to battle if you if you if you want to go Carlson, Marsha, Show, Smith, Stone, Stasny, Pacioretty. Gusev, Halla, Tuck, and then Belmar, Carrier, Reeves. Uh, I'll, I'll go to battle with that next season and be just fine. Yeah. Hey, and also, uh, Clarkson comes off the books after next season, so that, that that's will finally correct. be over. They only, have, they only have one more year to go with him. So that will, finally, that's correct. That will free up a good, nice little chunk of space. Um, and that's the nice after. thing to have in the pocket, too, because – Let's say that they don't get the long-term deal done with Carlson and they do the arbitration route. Well, that's a one-year deal. And then right. they'll have that extra five, five 5.25 next off season to lock Carlson up long-term. And I don't see that being, you know, a, a bad thing. Maybe that 5.25 right. in the bank for next season ends up um, being a blessing, more of a curse than it is this season. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I hear what you're saying. Well, we got Mark Scheig on the line. How do you feel about taking David Clarkson's $5.25 million back? Um, next question. <laughs> Mark Scheig with us, ladies and gentlemen, on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. He's back again. Uh, again, we always appreciate Mark Scheig coming on the show. So um, the, the they gave all they could. I, I thought they did did a, a very good job. In, in the playoffs this year, farther than I thought they would go. We talked a, a few weeks ago. Um, just you've had enough time now to, to go through the, the ramifications of the Kekalainen and, and all that. So some up the, the, from the trade deadline on how your feelings are about the moves and the gamble and, and did they do far enough and talk, just talk a little bit about that. I kind of wrote about it today in the end of season column. Um, it's tricky because I think the bottom line here is that it's a developing story. I think this is a better question to really tackle after, you know, say, July 15th, August 1st, when, when you have the draft, you have free agency all figured out, you have some moves made. Are they able to keep Matt Duchesne? Are they able to keep Ryan Dezingle? Is there a miracle somewhere which Bobrovsky and Panarin would consider staying in Columbus? I mean, there's there's just a lot of what ifs right now, so it's kind of right. complete for me. I see why he did it. Obviously, I mean, heck, they swept the Tampa Bay Lightning and they took one of the heavy cup favorites to a sixth game, um, and it took Tuka Rask playing at a 950 save percentage to beat him. Yeah, so, for sure. Nothing, nothing disappointing about. I mean, it's obviously a disappointing ending, but there's certainly still a lot to celebrate. It's just now Columbus's challenges. They're going to have to keep the momentum going, you know, what, you know, whatever it ends up being, whether it be they make an impact trade in the off season or they, you know, do something along those lines where they sign a big ticket free agent. I mean, they only have two picks coming up in the draft. So 
maybe you trade like a Sonny Milano or Alexander Wenberg and you get some picks. We'll see what happens. They have a lot of time plus stuff going on in the front office. Who knows who's leaving there too. Well, I really liked uh, Kekalainen's comments uh, after after being eliminated by Boston, and and just just the tone of it, um, yeah, you know, he has a little chip on his shoulder about it, and he, you know, we're we're looking to sign players that want to be here, and if you don't want to be here, good luck down the road, and, and I, I love that attitude because it shows a belief a belief in your in your club the the guys that are there and, and it shows and, and the moves at the trade deadline obviously shows that he's willing to go to bat for those players and and do what he can to give the team a chance to win um what was your feelings about his his postseason comments there I, I really liked him a lot yeah and I think so did the players so did the fans I think that even though they didn't get to where they wanted to go and winning a cup I think that a lot of people found a respect for Jarmo Kekalainen only because that, you know, he was willing to do that. I mean, there's not many that would be willing to, you know, go all in like that, you know, especially considering they had two pending unrestricted free agents and not only pending unrestricted free agents, two of the best players in the entire national hockey league. So to be able to deal with that drama and still come to the conclusion that, you know what, these guys deserve a chance. Yeah. That's a heck of a play, but it earns a lot of respect and it goes back to what Matt Duchesne said recently in an interview. He said from top to bottom, this organization has a winning culture and for a newcomer like that to come in and to in a pretty quick amount of time, come to that conclusion, it says something about the job that the general manager is doing. And I think that's going to resonate, especially when players are considering where they want to go. They want to go to a place that, you know, obviously with the best contract, but also a place that they know that they're going to have a chance to win and I think if nothing else, Columbus established that they're willing to do what it takes, even if it's a little bit drastic, to try and win that. And I think that's going to really help them down the line. Well, I think that, I mean, beating Tampa Bay, but, but sweeping Tampa Bay in the fashion that they did, I think opened a lot of people's eyes nationally about what what this club is made of. Um, yep. They, My perception definitely changed i went from uh the trade deadline to from the oh my god what are they doing didn't they just see Tavares go to toronto to this team's not even going to make the playoffs and they've only got two drafts i think it's a third and a seventh too it's not like they have a first and a second right right? is that correct third and a seventh so really really you're banking on the third right unless you add some picks uh uh, with some, some moves here um, and then I went to, oh, okay, well, they made it. They got Tampa. Super. And then watching that series closely um, changed my perception of, of the players, their compete level, um, the whole organization. And, and the, that, you know, after they eliminated Tampa, I said on the show, okay, uh, Yarmo Kakalainen's off the hook in my book. He, he gave this club a chance. He went to bat for him, regardless of who stays, who goes, whatever. And I know a lot of people were thinking Stanley Cup or bust. Um, but a lot of people nationally, uh, you see now coming out and going, kudos to Kekalainen for taking the gamble that he did. Not too many general managers would put their rear ends on the line uh, to make those kind of moves. And and I, I, I'm I fine with it now. I, I, I'm 180 degrees from where I was on, on draft deadline. And I, I really hope that 
that uh, Columbus Blue Jackets Nation is is kind of following Kekalainen's lead. And uh, yeah, fine, you were good. You know, Panarin, you're good. Bobrovsky, you've been here forever. If you guys don't want to stay here, don't let the door split you. We're going to have about $25 million in cap space to replace you. And, and I hope that Blue Jackets Nation is on board. What has your feedback been on on, on your websites from from the fans? Are they, are they following along down that same same path? Oh, you, There's no question about it. They, lo- they love what happened. I mean, obviously very disappointing end, but just – Everything that you said from, you know, being able to go for it to being able to sweep Tampa Bay. I mean, it was their first ever series win. Yeah. And, and the feedback from the fans was crying, and I've been waiting my whole life for this. So, I mean, we're talking about some stuff that people have put 20 years of their life into, waiting for that moment for them to be able to celebrate a series victory. I mean, that, that's no small thing at all. No, um, for And sure. I think that's going to definitely – carry the momentum what i think is going to be interesting to follow those you know how will they keep that momentum going i mean they're now there's questions in goal there's questions up front we don't know who's resigning yet so the thing that we're going to have to watch for is how is yarmo going to compensate for all that and don't forget this you know alexander Texier made his um, debut this year got called up from cleveland after his season in europe was over remember how they got him it was the year you know, speaking of David Clarkson and the expansion huh. draft, that was the year they had to give up their first-round pick. They didn't have a second-round pick either in that draft. They didn't have a pick until the third round, but yet early on day two, Yarmo Kekalainen went calling to Vegas, made a deal, Keegan Colasar for the 45th pick. 45th pick became Alexander Texier. Don't ever discount Yarmo. He's not afraid to make a big move. So he might only have two picks right now. Don't think he's going to have some. He, he'll have something up his sleeve when the time comes, come draft time. Well, real quick before I bring Chris in, I think that when you get to uh, clo- closer to free agency, obviously we know Florida has, has targeted Panarin and Bobrovsky. So it, it, it seems like if the conversations with Panarin and Bobrovsky, and, and I've seen this week that Bobrovsky's put his condo on the, on the market uh, there in Columbus. So the writing's pretty much on the wall. I asked you earlier uh, in the season what the chance Bobrovsky was coming back, and you said 1%. So there's, there's two draft picks right there. If Florida wants to jump in and, and secure them easily earlier, you might be able to pick up a third for Panarin's rights and a third for Bobrovsky's rights. And now you're sitting there with three draft picks. Um, like, like you said, Kekalein is not dumb and he's willing to make a move. And if he sees the writing on the wall, there, there's a couple draft picks out there just for those two players that can give you a position to package those and maybe move up into the second or whatever. So um, uh, yeah, I, I think, there's things that can be done leading to the draft to re- restock the cupboard there, if you will. Let me, let me go ahead and bring in Chris. I know he has a few things for you, Chris. Yeah. So we got, uh, I'm going to hit you with some quick hits here, uh, Shiger. So let's start with, okay. uh, with Mark alluded to Panarin and Bobrovsky, you kind of mentioned in the opening uh, long shots to bring them back. What percentage would you put currently on the two of them based on the, your feel, what you know um, of, the, of of Columbus being able to re-sign them? Chris, am I allowed to say a negative percentage? 
I don't. I, well, I, I don't think. I think we would break math rules on that. So you're basically saying zero. <laughs> I am saying for, for Sergey Bobrovsky, I am saying there is zero percent chance he's back. For Artemi Panarin, I will say zero point zero 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 one percent chance he's coming back. It's not going to happen. I mean, you mentioned the condo. You mentioned that, you know, there's been ups and downs throughout their relationship. Bobrovsky came out and said that the thing isn't severed, but this is their one and only chance at free agency where they can pick where they want to go. They know they're both going to get paid, so it's not about money. It's now about preference. They want to go where there's a bigger Russian population, et cetera, et cetera. You know, choose what you want to believe with that. But at the end of the day, I think that both of them, they're not going to come back. I'll, I'll, I'll just say both are going to be at zero percent now that brings me to Deshane, and to me this is kind of interesting from this standpoint you have to figure through his agents and his people and whatnot he knows the lay of the land so if matthew shane believes that panarin and Borovsky are going to be gone okay mm-hmm. um what is his interest level in terms of re-signing with columbus now, obviously, Columbus can offer him an eighth year, which no one else can, so that's important. But also important okay. to note is if, if Columbus resigns Duchesne, uh, they have to give up their first-round pick in 2020. Now, I don't know if, that, if that's something Columbus would gladly do. Is that, is that a consideration? No so given all those parameters, parameters, if you will, what is the percent chance that Duchesne resigns with Columbus? I will say 50-50, and you, you laid okay. it out there very nicely for everybody. Um, yeah, I, Columbus will gladly do it. If they're giving up a 2020 first-round pick to have their number one center locked in for eight years, that's a no-brainer. Um, I think the thing, though, with Duchesne, I, I don't think money is going to be an issue. Columbus can offer, especially with the cap space, they can meet money. And I even wrote in right. my column today that I think they should offer eight years – 72 million. That'd be $9 million a year. It's well known that Duchesne loves the number nine. It's been a big part of his life. I think Columbus needs to make a stand here to say, you know what, even if it's a little bit more than market, what you were able to do for us in the short period of time, I just think that from both sides, Duchesne would, will get his eight years. Um, Columbus would get their number one center. He'd be part of a winning culture, and Kekalion's already demonstrated you know, hey, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, I, I know the youth that's on the way. We've got some pretty good goaltending prospects that could in a couple of years replace Bobrovsky. we got Liam Foody, Emil Benstrom, and others that are coming that are, are going to be pretty good forwards at one point in time. So th- that's the one side. Now, the other side is, of course, Duchesne's in the same boat. He can pick and choose where he wants to go um, in terms of where. I've heard Montreal would be a strong consideration for him to be able to go back to Canada. I've heard he'll consider going back to Ottawa, even though a little bit of a mess there right now. I'm not sure how much he wants to do, but it's a hockey decision. So, you know, there, he'll, he's, he's already said he's going to talk to Columbus. He's loved his time there. It's just now he wants to do his due diligence, and Columbus completely understands that. They've handled everything the right way here. Uh, they'll make their best pitch. They can offer the eighth year, so – yeah, 50-50 right now. I would think that Nashville and the Islanders would also be interested in him, although Nashville will have to move, I think, a big salary while yep. the Islanders wouldn't. The Islanders made a big 
they did make a big push from what I heard to get to Shane at the deadline. Uh, supposedly they offered their first round pick in Anthony Beauvieu, um and another uh, and a prospect uh, to Ottawa. And I think Ottawa wanted to, to chew number one, but um, all right. So I have a, I'm going to leave Mark the last question. I have one last one for you. And as everyone knows, okay. we're, we're having our annual draft show coming up uh, June 15th. It's our, believe it or not, uh, it's our fifth and a fifth draft mock draft show with Shiger. This is yeah, crazy. This is Shiger's uh, fourth year with us, all consecutively. So give us uh-huh. a little taste, uh, Mark, in terms of the, this year's draft, the quality of the first round, and the quality overall of the draft. Is this a is this a good deep draft? How excited should teams fans of teams who, if you're Vancouver and you're picking 10th or if you're Montreal and you're picking 15th, how excited should you be that, you know, you're not the Rangers or the Devils and you're not going to get using tacos, uh, but how excited should you be in, in terms of that? I'll answer that in a moment, but just bringing back to your Islanders point and, you know, we covered the Blue Jackets, so the Metropolitan Division. So Svechnikov last year to Carolina, and now we're going to get Hughes and Kako in oh, some combination with the Devils and the Rangers. Mm. I'm what, not happy about it. That, that's <laughs> going to be torture over some time to get those kind of players competing against each other year in and year out. That'll be fun. But to answer your question here, outside of that, I'd say the top 15 looks pretty good. So if you have a lottery pick, you're going to get a pretty decent player out of it. I think depth-wise, you get some bright spots here or there, but I'd call it average depth um, from everything that I've been able to tell. Um, but I think like in most years, the draft is going to start at number three and what the Chicago Blackhawks do. Um, and everything's going to fall from there. In fact, I even posted the question on Twitter, who would you take? Would you take a defenseman like Bowen Byram? Would you take a couple centers in Zegras or Turcotte? Would you consider taking the next Alex Debrinkit and Cole Caulfield? They're the interesting team, and then everyone else is going to be able to fall from there. Couple yeah, trust me, really I know. I, in our, I have the Blackhawks, as you know, at the three spot for that show. You, you and uh, Dan have it easy. You have Dan is picking for New Jersey, and then you're picking for the, for the Rangers. Uh, you guys have it easy. I, I have to try to figure out of about four or five choices who, who to pick in that spot. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Cause it's not, it's not going to be easy for them because you can easily make an – I mean, Bowen Byram is leading the entire WHL in playoff scoring, and he's a defenseman. That's a hard decision when you have possibly a center in Alex Turcotte or Zegras that's right there that, you know, they could certainly use the center depth for later. So – now, I don't envy Stan Bowman at all because he's going to have a very hard decision to make. But think about this. There's a couple teams that I'm really interested in seeing, you know, what they do. And, you know, Colorado, you know, they're, they're sitting there. You know, they just mm. got off of a hard play, you know, game seven. They got the fourth pick. And they can take somebody that could even take a year or two to get ready. Uh, so I'm really curious to see if, you know, will, will they consider taking Cole Caulfield and giving him a year? Will they take Kirby Dosh and give him a year? I mean, so many real interesting storylines at the top of this draft. But, you know, all told, Cole Caulfield, there's a couple other guys. Cole Caulfield's very interesting where he falls. Oh, oh. 
and it's going to bring back the old, you know, he's too small argument. Should he be a top 10 pick? Yeah, I can't wait to see that one play out for sure. A um, couple other quick names I'll throw at you guys that we need to pay attention to. Vasily um, Colson. Um, we need to watch him. He's fallen down some draft boards. Um, I think Philip Tomasino, a winger, is going to be a really good player. I think Thomas Harley's going to be a really good player. Um, and another name to watch for goals-wise, had over 50 goals again, um, is um, Arter Kalia from Hamilton. Um, but there's questions about his work ethic, but he's a 50-goal scorer. How far is he going to go down? So we'll talk much more about it during the, our draft special, but it's going to be very interesting at the top. And if you have a lottery pick, it's looking pretty good. Real quick before I hand you to Mark, Polsic, uh butchering his name, was ranked on most boards in the top five. You're saying he's slipping a little. Is that because teams are worried that he's not looking to bolt Mother Russia for maybe a while and that's scaring them a bit? Uh, it's actually his a little bit of recency bias, I think, but um, he played in a U18 tournament recently and didn't do very well in it, and he really didn't produce to the level that many expected in league play either. So I know he had some real early momentum, but you know recently he hasn't had the best performances. So there are some that have dropped him outside of the top ten even from number three mm-hmm. to one point. Right. Well, all right, Mark, uh, thank you again uh, for coming in. If you guys want to check out his end-of-season column on the Blue Jackets, it posted this morning on Twitter. You can follow him at Mark Scheig. Uh, there's a link right there in his pinned tweet, or go to thehockeywriters.com. Um, lot, lots of good stuff in his articles, so go over there and check that out for him and, and hit subscribe on his on his Twitter feed for all of the links to his writing content on the Columbus Blue Jackets. Sir, thank you again, and we will see you, talk to you uh, on draft day. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thanks, Shiger. All right, Mark Shig, uh A beauty, yeah, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be interesting we need, uh, to see, you know, uh, what Columbus does, what moves they do make, like you said, Panarin, Bobrovsky, just about gone. You brought up a good point with if you can get someone to see if you can entice someone with a third or fourth round pick. It may not seem like much, but when you don't have any draft picks, or not a lot of them for both this year and next, you'll, you, you know, those are important picks. Um, uh, but where do they go, you know, in terms of free agency? You know, they have to fill those spots uh, for next year. I, I you know, uh, their pipeline is okay. Mark mentioned a couple of guys that they, they should feel good about, but I don't know if they could be ready next year. Obviously, trade, making a trade is going to be challenging because they've given up a lot of future assets in recent times, and the, and the proven players they have on the roster they kind of already need. So the trade route would be kind of a tricky one for them, unless we're talking about getting someone who's maybe not got a great cap hit, but could still help them. So they wouldn't have to give up a lot of assets. So being, you know, obviously they would clear a lot of cap space, so they could, you know, go after somebody else on July one. You know, uh, uh, you know somebody else's. You know, they can go after a Jeff Skinner. They can go after, uh, you know, maybe a Brock Nelson, so on and so forth. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure they have that Plan B ready to roll because, uh, they, like he said, they must know. Obviously, they know that. 
an Aaron Bobrovsky or, you know, it's like a lottery ticket situation. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And and like I said, if you can get a third or, an, or a fourth for just trading right. the rights to players you know aren't going to be there, and then you got two-thirds and a fourth, you could package that into the second round, or, you know, I would think if somebody's looking for more depth later in the draft, um, you know, teams move up and down. So I, 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 they're obviously not done. And, the you know, the other thing, they have – a ton of cap space coming their way on July 1st when these contracts are up. So right. if if you throw $9 million at, at Matthew Shane and, and he decides to stay, that's a great first step. And, and, and you still have got plenty of wiggle room to, to fill your roster out. I mean, it's, you, it's hard to replace Bobrovsky and Panarin, but don't get me wrong, but I got a feeling they're going to be okay. I went from, like I said earlier in the show, I've I've come 180 degrees on on the whole situation with Columbus, and boy, that's a it's a gritty competitive group, and I think I think you don't need. It's always nice to have a Panarin, but right. if you could get that production from a couple of of mid-level players that you can bring in and get scoring depth that way to replace the, the, the scoring from Panarin. I think, I think Columbus will be just fine. The only thing I would say about Columbus to be worried of, and I'm not talking about Matt Duchesne, I'm talking about if they lose those other players, don't worry, we have to replace them. We don't, our kids aren't ready. We, it's going to be hard for us to make a trade. The thing is, you don't want to wind up really overpaying on the free agent market drastically. So you wind up signing, and it's really more so with the years. So if there's a guy who really should be on a four- or five-year deal, and you give six or seven, and then bottoms out after year two, you don't want to have a couple of guys like that wind up on your roster where you have your fingers crossed, and then if it goes the wrong way, and if you're in a position where, well, we have to sign, we have to sign someone, you know, like we have to get this player due to where the position we're in. And sometimes right. that can lead to being, making a bad choice. So that would be the only, the only thing to, I would caution from that standpoint and saying, well, you know what, we wind up signing player X to a six year deal. And we only did it because we had to get someone of that level because we lost to and we lost Probosky and guess what? He crapped out. Uh, after after year one or after year two, and now we're we got this albatross in situation, um, you know, it's like Edmonton does Milan Lucic. So that's I would be the only warning sign I would say. I mean that's true for all teams, right? But sure. they might feel like they they might feel like we have to, you know, replace these players. So that would be the only thing I would say, I would say by about that. So real quick, when we uh, each give a thought on the conference finals, we have one game in the books. Uh, your thoughts on Carolina, Boston? Well, well, I think they let, uh, I think they let one get away in Game One, mm. um, with McAvoy out. Um, they, they, you know, they they were controlling that game, and we, we, you know, talking before the show, I was watching NHL Network's preview of the series, and Weesey came out and said, point blank, if they don't take unnecessary penalties, I think they'll be fine. 
and that's exactly what they did um and and it bit them it, they go from a, a 2-1 game to a, a 5-2 final the other way um that it's unfortunate that they let that one get away because if you get that game one you've got your split and, and you go home and, and you're riding high we, we know that the what what did what did Don Cherry call them this week? Now they're a front running bunch of jerks because the fans in in Carolina. Well, I I don't share that opinion, but uh, now now those fans are going to carry that team, and, and it's a whole different series now. I think with McAvoy back, they're going to get a boost in game two, and probably you know Maratic's back, and he he played well enough in in game one for sure. So any, any lingering questions, he looked good to go to me. I think hopefully it'll be a long series, but I think it's going to be tough for Carolina now to contain everything that Boston has offensively. I, I, I think, you know, it's a great story, great run. Uh, I got to, I got to think Boston moves on into the Stanley cup final. Yeah, you know, um, like you were saying, the first two periods of game one, they were doing everything that made them successful uh, yeah. in the playoffs. And that, and that was, you know, uh, getting contributions up and down uh, the lineup, a relentless forecheck, uh, you know, blocking shots, both with bodies and sticks, getting really good goaltending at key times. The one thing interesting enough that during this playoff run for Carolina – um, even against the Islanders, who they swept, was they haven't been great in terms of killing penalties. Haven't been god awful, but they haven't been great. They're around 73%. And while Boston's been up and down in these playoffs, one thing that they, for the most part, have been very strong about, both against uh, Toronto and, and Columbus, is their power play. And they've been oper- they're operating at 30% efficiency, which is a huge number in the regular season, let alone the playoffs. So that key point of that's where I think uh, they're very they're in a very uh, precocious uh, situation is killing penalties. It's not uh, I'm not saying they're bad at it, uh, but it's definitely not a strength. And the Boston power play is a huge strength. So. That they have to limit as much as possible, and you hit the right phrase from Kev, good old Kevin Weeks, ex-Islander, by the way, and that is unnecessary penalty. And Dougie Hamilton had a couple of those in, uh, mm-hmm. in game one. So one thing I will say, though, is I don't think it's a coincidence that Carolina hasn't lost a home game yet. Um, I do think this will be a long series. I And Boston, to me, has been a little up and down. And... Uh, so I I think the Bruins will get past, but I think it's gonna I think it's gonna go the distance. I think they're gonna go seven. Yeah, I don't want to sell Carolina short. What they've done has been fantastic here in the playoffs. And in, 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 instead of calling them front-running fans, I'm going to say energize the old fans uh, in Carolina and brought them back to the rink. And you know I don't find any problem with that. If, if you go through this dry spell that that Carolina has gone through in the last 15 years. Um, 10 years, whatever it is, fans are going to find something else to do in any market. Um, so so it, it's a it's good to see the Carolina fan base re-energized and supporting their team in, in Carolina. So 
I don't want to sell them short. So that, right. So that, that but takes I think us to Boston. St. Louis. Boston. Right. Uh, that takes us to St. Louis and the team that you love to hate, San Jose. Mm. How do you see this series? Go Blues. <laughs> um and and yeah people people on 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 Twitter and the the San Jose fans base are are real fond of of well you guys have only been watching hockey for 2 years you don't even know what icing is yet um well, I've been watching hockey since 1980 how old are you guys I've probably been watching hockey since before you were born um so put that to rest I ask I who think, ask him who Pantalon is <laughs> exactly um but but and so my my reasons for disliking San Jose go back into my my king's days, so anyway, I have um, been expanded this year yeah yeah, yeah. On. Uh, yeah it's 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 a it's 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 a growing it's a growing feeling sir but it, it, anyway um I think. I think St. Louis has the defense. They're, they're they're structurally similar. I mean, the games, the the styles that they play. They both like to forecheck. They both like to cycle the puck. They both like to go low high. This is all, you know, breakdowns that you've heard on TV and everything else. But it's true. Um, the the they both play a very similar style of game. Um, can Bennington, the the young netminder, continue to? put in solid effort after solid effort. We haven't really seen a stinker out of him yet. Um, Mar- Martin Jones right, somehow righted the ship in uh, the first round against Vegas, and he's been playing fantastic hockey since then. Carlson leads the playoffs and assists for San Jose. Um, I think it's going to be a very close, very tough series. Um, I When we did our playoff preview show, I – said St. Louis was my dark horse, so I'm just go blues. That's all I can say. Go blues. Yeah, I you know, I look at these two teams and I, I think St. Louis is stronger uh structurally, stronger defensively, although San Jose has improved in the playoffs in that regard as it's gone on, although quite frankly they had nowhere else to go but up based on early on in the first after uh, their first round series against Vegas, some of the things that I saw. But anyway, um so I think the Blues are a little bit stronger there. Uh, I think goaltending's pretty close. I mean, Martin, the old Martin Jones from a couple of years ago that helped ride this team to the Stanley Cup Finals to play out of his mind in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Penguins uh, is 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 coming around to say the least, and then some. Um, the thing is, it it is such a struggle at times for the Blues to score goals, and uh, you know they're really reliant on you know, a few guys, if you will, um, uh, Ryan O'Reilly and, and, uh, you know, Schwartz has gotten hot. He's, he's had yeah. big games, you know, but they really, it's been a little bit of the, the one concern I would have, and the Blues play great on the road. Actually, they probably play better on the road than they do at home, but they the have one all concern year. I would have, yeah, they have all year. Uh, the one concern I have is being able to score enough. And I think San Jose it's a, it's it's more stronger for them in that regard. They have more people. They got Pavelski back for Game Seven. You saw the impact that he made. I think San good. Jose power. Yes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, nobody I think, wants anybody hurt. So I mean, it's good to see no. Pavelski back. Um, 
you know, he's storybook. He comes back from his injury, scores first goal in game one. So, uh, right. or, or at game seven, I'm sorry. Yeah. On the power play with his patented get in front of the net and, and one of the best deflectors of the puck in the game. And, and so, yeah, good story for San Jose there. It's good to see Pavelski back playing. And I think that's going to be a big key is the San Jose power play and how that runs and how, or, the results of that in this series. If you told me that right now that the, the Sharks' power play is going to be good and they're going to cash in a diff, uh, number of times in this series on their power play scoring goals, well, I would feel very confident that they would win this series. If you told me they would be below average or even worse than that, um, I would really like the Blues. So I think that's a big key in this series is that is how the Sharks do on the power play. Um, I'm going to go San Jose in seven. I think they'll be the third series in a row. They go seven with all three game series uh, winding up game seven being in, uh, in San Jose. But I'm nothing against Sharks fans. It's not an anti-Shark thing. Uh, but I'm rooting for the Blues from the standpoint of that fan base. It's been a long time since, uh, you know, the team's been – you know, uh, had a chance. You know, winning. You know, winning the uh, getting to the Stanley Cup Finals, if I can speak. So uh, it would be a great story. Uh, but I think the Sharks got just. Um, I'm, I, I just wish the Blues had a little bit more scoring going on. So they're going to need key contributions from some other guys, and they're going to need the the A level Tarasenko in this series. Yes. Each and each and I every game. Say. Yeah, they're going to need O'Reilly and Shin to to start putting the puck in the net again, and they're going to need Tarasenko to figure out his playoff um, goal scoring and put the puck in the net. And if and we'll, let me just get in a little a little some some if if San Jose does go on and win their third game seven and advance to the Stanley Cup final, just just remember in 2014 it was the Kings who came back from a three nothing deficit in game seven against the Sharks and then won three the next two game sevens on the road to get to the Stanley Cup final. So even if they do that, the the Kings still have one up on them. I just want to give a quick shot. I thought, you know, Ben Bishop in game seven for the Stars did everything he humanly <laughs> possibly could to win that game. Yes, I mean, that was the, one of the most lopsided games I've seen in quite some time, and yet it somehow was 1-1 in double overtime. And, uh, I mean, it, it probably would have been, like, felt like uh, the game was stolen. But, I mean, I mean, just what a performance that was. Well, what what worried me watching that game um, was it reminded me of the, the Vegas Golden Knights San Jose Sharks game six, where yes. Ve- Vegas was just shot after shot, dominating play, offensive zone, and – kept letting the sharks hang around hang around hang around and that and that's what that game felt like to me and and it would to to see uh you know for that thing to go down double overtime and, and Ben Bishop keeping him in the game it, I could just see Radulov or or somebody coming down and just getting some freak deflection off a defenseman's skate and winning the game yeah. for Dallas and and I'm not going to say that they would give up a shorthanded goal in the double overtime, but, uh, right. 
Um, no, it, it totally felt like that game six, the Vegas San Jose game, um, with Dallas just hang around. When you let a team hang around and hang around and hang around, eventually it's going to bite you. And, and fortunately, uh, for, for St. Louis, um, they were able to get the job done because they did deserve that game. They did. They did. That was an amazing, that was an amazing performance by, uh, All right. by, by Bishop. So uh, Carolina, Carolina, St. Louis Stanley Cup final. <laughs> how, how would that would that would that turn the NHL offices uh, just upside down? You know, to, to, to finish the show, I heard someone who I really enjoy out here in New York, and there's a hockey guy, but you know, they, on mainstream radio, and he brought up a good point. If they could steal him, his name's Chris Moore, out here in WFAN land in New York, and he brings up a good point in terms of when talking about the hockey rating. The you know, ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent of hockey fans out there are hardcore fans. It is not a sport that really is for that grabs casual fans. It really is correct. Now, on the plus side, is the people that they have, they're hardcore. They're they're in it, and yep. so because of that, at the end of the day, if it's Boston or Carolina or you know, obviously in some of these markets that are bigger. There's more people to the set, but it's, you know, it's not going to be earth shattering at the end of the day, you know, people in Dallas who just saw their team lose, are they going to be, you know, mode, you know, it's going to, it, uh, they'll probably sneak a peek or maybe do a little bit more than that in terms of watching the playoffs. But if the series gets real, real interesting, then they might really glue in. But, but the point being is the casual fan is not, it's not a strength of the of the league. It really isn't, uh, as opposed to the other sports, where you can really grab the casual fan. And it's not the strongest thing. So for, for hockey, whatever it is, it will be. If anything, you know, one way to look at it, though, too, is if Carolina does get to the cup final from a league perspective, you know, maybe that will do huge things for that team and that market and solidify that team which we've heard about moving the last few years to, you know, really be a staple uh, uh, to, to, you know, build around and moving forward and cement uh, that franchise there. So maybe from that standpoint, from the business standpoint, um, they, you know, that will be a, a, a big gain for them. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, but, you know, if the league had its struthers, I think they would. Pro- I mean, if all things being equal, yeah, they probably. I don't think it could go wrong with Boston, St. Louis, or Boston, San Jose, St. Carolina. Yeah, but like I said, uh, if you look at the big picture, long term, it might be a good thing they made the Cup final for, uh, for to solidify that franchise. Okay, and that's going to wrap it up for this week on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, tell us real quick what's on tap for next week because I got to run. Next week, we got uh, Lyle Richardson of Spectres Hockey, and we'll have him for a few minutes to give us a sneak peek on July 1st and what he knows. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this Saturday. For Chris, on Mark, and we're gone.